are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. In the West family, I'm Frank. I'm Bethann. I'm Mary. We're very glad to be worshiping virtually with you today and are privileged to read the Word of God for, to you, Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This, this is, is the word, word of the Lord. So question, where do you go for comfort? I don't mean it in a hypothetical, like where would one go and, you know, for comfort, but where do you personally go for comfort? We were hanging out with some friends last night and got to talking about the... Uh, the comfort mechanisms that we use in order to fall asleep at night, you know, like stuffed animals or blankies and things. I'm sorry, I mean the comfort mechanisms our children use to fall asleep at night, you know, stuffed animals and blankies and things like that. And we got onto the subject of weighted blankets. How many of you have a weighted blanket? How many of you got one this year? Not Okay, so I was going to guess that almost all of you did because like the per capita weighted blanket sales in the U.S., we're through the roof after 2020. Well, so we were talking about it. They had just gotten a weighted blanket, loved it. So I went and got ours out of the attic to try it again. And I got it all situated and I got underneath the covers and man, it was, I felt hugged and warm and comfortable. And then I fought with it all night long as it kept falling off of the bed. And I thought, this is not comfort. This is not the comfort I had in mind. Where do you go for comfort? Not the comfort mechanism you know, fall asleep at night kind of comfort, though I'm sure we could have some fun discussing that, but more of like the life is spinning out of control and I'm overwhelmed by anxiety comfort. Where do you go when a weighted blanket is not enough and the stuffed animal just isn't cutting it anymore and blankie has fallen to shreds? Where do you go for comfort? Uh, we've been exploring in this series the heart of God for weary people from uh, Isaiah, from the, the prophet Isaiah, and specifically kind of what he writes in the, the, the 40s, these chapters. And uh, we've been taking our time as a church going through these different uh, high points where we see the heart of God come through for his people, the comfort of God come through for his people. Because, you know, if we're going to take the the anxieties and the what-ifs and the weariness that uh, dogs us when we try to sleep, if we're going to take that and do anything more with it than simply set it aside to be picked up again when we wake up, then we're going to need to find comfort somewhere or in something or in someone that is 
better at giving comfort than just a weighted blanket or a blankie or all of those things. Because those sorts of comforts are not enough when you're facing what Isaiah and his neighbors were facing. Uh, exile breathing down their necks, mil- uh, military and political opposition, a, you know, they're, they're days away from a forced disbursement out to the corners of the earth. And Isaiah is saying, where do you find comfort when that's your reality? They needed to know that there, there was, there's something out there, someone out there strong enough and sure enough and lasting enough and a powerful enough to comfort. I mean, even if only with his presence. Of course, it's something that we need to hear as well. So turn with me to Isaiah 43, if you haven't already. Isaiah 43, this is where we're, we're going this morning to find out that, yes, in fact, there is someone out there strong enough and sure enough and lasting enough, powerful enough and patient enough to comfort us with his presence. That comfort, it's found in one simple phrase, repeated twice in this passage, fear not, I am with you. I am with you. Write that down. That's the key idea. That's what I want you to remember this morning. I am with you. So write it down and let's, let's jump in. Uh, we're going to take this passage kind of in two main chunks. One through four is the first chunk and then five through seven. One through four is focused in on bringing comfort for the immediate circumstances right now. I need comfort right now. So what does God have to say to right now? And then five through seven are where God is giving comfort and promising comfort for the future, for the the whole world of anxieties I haven't even dreamed about worrying about yet. He says, I'm there for those as well. There's comfort for now and comfort for for the future. We'll start with comfort for now, verses one through four. Verse one, but now, thus says the Lord. And but now, those two words kind of set up a, a contrast. God's saying, okay, there's something that came before, but now I'm saying this. Now, he's not repudiating himself. He's, he's giving a commentary on what he said before. What came before? Well, in the nine or ten verses right before this, we basically read about how God is judging Israel for walking away from the covenant, the relationship that he had set up with them. They've gone running after other gods, finding satisfaction in other places, trying to find their security somewhere else. And God has said, I'm bringing judgment, I'm bringing exile to bring you back to me. But, okay, I've said that, but now hear this. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Okay, you're about to go into exile, but fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Why not fear even in the face of an impending exile, the destruction of everything you're used to, everything you hold dear? Why? Well, because God says, even in the midst of that impending exile, I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. This is one of the most personal passages in all of the the Jewish scriptures. Not only does God describe himself as as the creator of Israel, the one who willed them into existence, and he describes himself as the former 
of the nation, the one who, like a, like a potter, gets his hands dirty with the clay and molds it and forms it, formed them into a nation. He says also, I have, I am your redeemer. I have called you by name. I'm, I'm your namer, the one who, who tells you who you are. Redeemed there is this sense of being uh, included in the family. Adoption might be another word for it, but it's more, uh, th- there's more implications to it. There's the adoption, there's the, the sense of having paid a price, uh, almost a ransom, in order to buy this person you love into your family. But there's also this sense of now that they are in the family, you are, you are granting them, you're giving to them all of the rights and privileges of being your next of kin. Like you don't hold them at a distance, they are fully in. But you're also taking on yourself all of the debts and the responsibilities, the emotional anguish that comes with including someone in your family. You are giving them everything positive that you have and taking on yourself everything negative that they have. That's redemption. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Called by name, it doesn't mean, you know, that he just recognize you. It's like, oh, hey, Johnny, what's up? Like, good to see you. It called you by name means I am calling you by my name. That comes up again at the end in verse 7. I'm calling you by my name. I'm giving you my name. I've redeemed you. I've brought you into the family. I have, I have made you part of my family, part of my inheritance, part of my name, part of, of me. You are mine, he says. You are mine. It's the, it's the privilege of being possessed, of being owned. The privilege of being owned, of being included and, and welcomed and made at home. It's the privilege of knowing that no matter where you go, when you turn towards home, there will always be someone there waiting for you, waiting to welcome you back home. You are mine. So keep that in mind, God says. I created you, I formed you, I adopted you, I redeemed you, I welcomed you, I included you, I named you. You are mine. Keep that in mind because you're going to need it. You're going to need that comfort for what you're about to go through. We live on a, on a corner, on a T intersection, and right on our corner are three girls all about the same age. So our daughter, Anna, and two other girls. And, and they, they have a great time playing together, but like any friend group, from time to time, there's conflict. And you know, from time to time, none of them are getting along, or two of them are really connecting, and the third is kind of feeling a little left out. That happened recently when Anna was feeling like the one on the outside of the friend circle. So we sat down with her. Jenna and I were like, okay, what would good parents do? Let's try that. We sat down with her and she said, let's talk this through. You know, let's help her name what she's feeling, try to understand a little bit of what's going on. You know, we told her about times that we'd felt excluded when we were kids and what it felt like. We told her to get used to it because adults feel excluded all the time. She didn't find that as comforting as we thought it would be. But mostly we just tried to impress on her, you belong to us. We paid so much money to have you. (laughs) And we are paying so much money to keep you. We'll pay anything. You 
are part of us. You have our name. You are part of our family. We love you. You are with us. And we explicitly told her, when you find yourself in a situation where you are being excluded, remember, you are always included here, in this home. When you feel like you are on the outside, you are never on the outside here. You are always on the inside. We always want you around. And if you can remember that, if you can remember that, it'll still be hard, but it won't be quite so hard to be left out. So you have to know where you belong and who you belong to in order to face the kind of anxieties and things that are coming at the nation of Israel. Anna needed to know whatever she goes through, she can always come back home where she is fully accepted and fully loved and fully welcomed. Israel needed to know that no matter what they go through, there is always a God who fully accepts, fully welcomes them home, even if it's not happening right at that moment. Because things are about to get tough. Verse 2 is sort of a poetic way of talking about the exile, what they're about to go into. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. It's sort of pulling back into like Exodus language and bringing it into the future and saying, you know, you went through the waters then, you're going to go through the waters again. You went through the fire then, you're going to go through the fire again. But you can be confident, even in this impending difficulty, what is about to happen to you, you can be confident you will get through it. You will make it through it. It will not overwhelm you because, verse 3, I am the Lord your God. How do you know you can get through this, the waters, the rivers, the fire, the flame? Because I am your God. Not the God you chose, the God who chose you. I am your God. I'm the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He says, I I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. It's it's referring back to that Exodus experience of saying, like, when, when you were slaves in Egypt, I essentially traded Egypt for you. I wanted you, and I brought you out. And then referencing Cush and Seba is kind of a poetic way of expanding the scope of what God did. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of North Africa. This is how much I love you, that I brought you so far. I saved you. I gave all of this in exchange for you. In other words, he's, he's saying no matter what you face going forward, whether it's physical difficulty or just emotional, uh, whether it's actual homelessness or just existential, whatever you face going forward, I, the one who rescued you in the past, will be with you. I will be with you. And you'd think that'd be enough comfort, but he keeps going. Verse 4, new sentence, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, then I will, or I have, I give, we'll get into that in a second, but look at that first line, you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Precious and honored and loved by the God who created, formed, redeemed, named, welcomed, included. The heart of God for weary 
people is to look at his people and say, you are and you have been precious to me. You still are, in spite of all of the things I'm judging you for, you are precious to me. You have been loved and honored, and you still are loved and honored, in spite of the idolatry and the spiritual adultery and all these things that I just said I'm judging you for. You are precious and honored, and I love you. Enough to, he says, give men in return for you peoples in exchange for your life. And interpreters are divided about kind of what that means. It might, again, be referring back to the Exodus, when God delivered Israel out of slavery, kind of exchanged Egypt for them, or maybe it's saying that if it, if it came down to it where the only way to save his people was to exchange everyone else, he'd do it. That's how much he has chosen to love them. Or it may be hinting forward to just how much God is willing to sacrifice to save his people. Isaiah develops it more. Maybe God would be willing to sacrifice even himself if that's what it took to bring comfort to his people. Regardless, we find in the verses a, a comfort for, for now, for the moment. They've just received or heard in the previous verses the most devastating news that they can hear. And God says, I've just delivered that news. But now I also want you to hear this. I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you. I named you. You are mine. You are precious and honored and loved. So I will be with you. You saw that there in verse 2. You know, in verse 1, he's saying, I redeemed you, called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Now, in the ESV, this translation I'm reading from, it puts it in the future tense because the exile is still out in the future. I will be with you. But it's present tense in Hebrew. It's whenever you pass through the waters, I am with you. Whenever you go through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Whenever you face the flame or the fire, I am with you. When you go through the chaos, I am with you right now, today. So actually, let's change the key idea. I know you already wrote it down, but add this to the end. I am with you now. Not just I am with you, but I am with you right now. This is God's promise his promise to be with his people based on his character, based on his actions as the one who created and formed and redeemed and named them. All He's invested. He says, I am going to be with you. I am with you right now. That is comfort for like, the immediate, you know, for right now. That's what we need to hear. But that, it makes us ask the question, well, what about anxieties in the future? What about the stuff that's coming that I, I don't even know about? What about the whole world of anxieties I haven't even dreamed about being worried about yet? Is God big enough for those? He says, yeah, look at verses 5 through 7. If you're bombarded by the anxieties of the future, these are the verses for you. It starts out in a familiar way. You might have already heard this. Fear not, I am with you. Before he puts some stuff in the middle of that, fear not, I have redeemed you, called you, your mind. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Now he just shoves it all together. Fear not, I am with you. And they're facing down that, that exile, 
which is no small thing. It's, it's not the kind of anxiety that's going to be resolved in one person's lifetime. It's not the kind of difficulty you can overcome on your own. They're going into national exile saying, what hope do we possibly have for our future as, as a people, as a nation, as a whole, not just ourselves individually? You don't go into exile for a year or two and then come back. So is God big enough to be there in the future? If we're going to face an uncertain future without fear, we have to know that someone is already there in that future who is powerful enough to comfort us in that future. So God says, well, here's what I'm going to do in that future. Fear not, I am with you. Verse 5, I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name. Bring them in. So he, he comforts them. This is, what I, this is fascinating. He comforts them in that moment with a promise to them, but for their children. You see, it's a promise to them. You do not have to worry about the future because I am going to do this for your children and their children. To bring them back. Bring them back from exile, certainly, but the, the language of the poem here is so much broader than just a you know, Middle East localized exile. From the very north and the south, the east and the west, the four corners of the earth, he will bring back all of his people. Everyone who is called by name will be brought back and welcomed home by the God who created and formed and redeemed and named who says you are precious and honored and I love you. And so the passage comes full circle. God's special relationship with his people gives them the secure foundation of belonging that's necessary to face you know, immediate anxieties with the comfort that only his presence can provide. And God's special relationship with his people gives them the foundation of hope necessary to face future unknown anxieties with the comfort that only his presence can provide. He's saying there is hope for the right now. There is comfort for right now. And there's comfort for all of the right nows you will experience in life. There is comfort right now and comfort for tomorrows right now and the next days right now and for all of your right nows. Let's change it again. I am with you now. Well, I'm also with you tomorrow. I am with you tomorrow. Not I will be. I am because he's already there. I am with you tomorrow. The people that Isaiah is writing to are feeling this anxiety of what is coming in the future? What is coming for me? What is coming for our people? What is coming for our nation? I don't know if you are facing some of those same kind of anxieties. I know some of you received bad news this week. Uh, news about yourself or family or friends that you love. 
Um, some of you have been watching the news over and over again, just scrolling and going, what is wrong with our world? Some of you have put in a ton of time and work at your jobs, and it has not come to fruition the way you thought it would. Others, you put in hours of studying only to feel more and more isolated and alone uh, from your friends and your peers. And w when we're facing all of that, how do we get the the comfort that Isaiah has for his readers, how do we get that comfort into our lives, into our like, lived experience? Not just theoretically, but, but practically. I think this passage has a lot of comfort for us. Now, of course, the passage was written to Israel, uh, not necessarily to us. But it was written for us, and for us to learn from, and for us to see God through as we read through it. So, I mean, we have to be careful. You can't just take something like verse 2 and, and pull it out of context and hand-letter it for an Instagram post, um, even though it would look good. Because it's about exile, and that's the one thing I don't think we're facing at the moment, is an exile. But... Even in this passage, we start to get hints of what God is going to do, plans that he has that Isaiah and his compatriots had no ideas about, plans that we have seen come to fruition. Uh, I hinted about it earlier. Look again at verse 4 where it says, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in exchange for your life. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. I give, it's the same form, I will give. I would be willing to give. In other words, if it comes down to a situation where someone's life has to be given in order for God's people to be saved from themselves, he's willing to make that sacrifice. And Isaiah takes that and continues to develop it in the chapters after this. And in, in passages we're going to get to just before Easter, we read that development about God himself saying, I have a servant who will bear the griefs of his people, who will carry their sorrows, who will be pierced for their transgressions and crushed for their iniquities, who in the act of being wounded will heal. And then in the New Testament, we see it spelled out in its full reality that God himself in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, the, the servant Isaiah points ahead to, God himself will give himself in exchange for his people. So how much is God willing to give in order to comfort you? He'll give even himself to win us back, to secure our futures, to give us comfort. And I say us specifically, even though this passage is written to Israel, because we who through faith in Jesus have been brought into the family of God, redeemed by him, loved by him, adopted by him, included by him. He's given himself for our comfort. So actually, yeah, let's go back to verse 2 and pull that out of context. Pull it out of its immediate context. Let's read this passage in light of the whole context of the entire Bible story as we see this promise fulfilled to us in Jesus. If you reread this passage in light of the whole Bible, it starts to sound something a little more like this. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, oh, Joey, or 
your name there. It's not very comforting if it's my name there. Not comforting for you. Now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, Joey, he who formed you, fear not, I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. I've given you my name. You are mine. Joey, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Savior. I gave Jesus as your ransom, my own son, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I gave myself in return for you, my one and only son, in exchange for your life. There is comfort in the promise, the, the fact. God says, I am with you. See, God doesn't comfort us the way the rest of the world comforts us by telling us, you know what, you have what it takes inside of yourself to overcome your circumstances and your adversities. You have the power to mold the world to what you want it to be. Because we don't. And he doesn't comfort us the way the world comforts us and just tells us, oh, just, just believe it's going to be okay. Because it might not. He comforts us by saying, when you go through the waters, not if, when, when you go through the waters, when you go through the rivers, when you pass through the flame, when you pass through the fire, I am with you. I am with you. Which means if I can um, change my mind one more time on the key idea here, uh, it's not just I'm with you now, I am with you tomorrow. Because of the servant, because of Jesus, I am with you forever. So, where are you going for comfort? Not the, you know, comfort mechanism to fall asleep at night sort of comfort, but the life is spinning out of control and I'm overwhelmed by anxiety comfort. The you know, I'm laying awake in bed and it's three o'clock in the morning and all of those thoughts are, are racing and all the anxieties I tried to leave yesterday just to pick them up again tomorrow are flooding back. And you know your heart is racing even though you haven't moved an inch in three hours. Where do you go for comfort in those moments? Because the weighted blanket has already fallen off. It's not going to last longer than the night anyway. But these words, the promise and the character of God, his presence, I am with you. I am with you now. I am with you tomorrow. I am with you forever is a comfort that lasts. Let's pray. God, you have not given us an unfettered ability to change our circumstances, to mold the world to our desires and how we want it to be. You have not given us an assurance that if we just trusted you, things would work out and we wouldn't have to go through difficult things. 
you have not promised us that life would be easy or that everything would make sense or be understandable, but you have promised that whatever we go through, you will be with us. You are with us. Lord, as we struggle, as we despair and as we are anxious and we are just, as we are just tired of being tired, make your presence known among us, we pray. Pray in the name, in the name of the one whose name is God with us.